Hello, welcome to the Doing CX Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, devoted to helping leaders like you intentionally increase brand loyalty and cultivate better relationships by doing customer experience right. Not talking or thinking about it, but really taking action and doing experience management the right way. This show is about guided steps to achieve better human and business outcomes, which has nothing to do with competing on price. This season of shows digs deep into new research and case studies reviewed with highly acclaimed authors and experts. Plus, you'll hear my insights as a practitioner working with various sectors and organizations. Besides business, you'll also hear personal stories and invaluable lessons to fuel your personal growth as we bring our whole self to work. Please share this podcast with others who can benefit and subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com for updates and helpful resources to advance your business and career. Imagine a world where customer feedback and employee feedback isn't just heard, but actively integrated into product improvements. Picture a company that doesn't just sell a service, but genuinely understands and addresses pain points. These are the businesses that thrive. And I'm discussing the importance of empathy in action with Wall Street Journal author and leader, Natalie Petahoff, who really understands this and teaches the importance of empathy in the workplace. We share a lot of actionable strategies to common problems and businesses and dive into real world results. Please listen to this episode and share it with others as it's so important, not just for the bottom line, but also for the greater good. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, Natalie Pettehoff. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Hi, Stacey. I am so glad you're here. And we're talking about a topic that is so near and dear to my heart, which is about empathy and action. But before we do that, can you tell my audience, who are you? What do you do for a living? So I've had many careers, many, uh, many inventions and reinventions of myself. But there's a common thread, and that common thread is really thinking about the customer and the employee experience and the connectedness and how important those two assets really are to a company. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have customers, there's nobody to buy the things that you create. And if you don't have employees, then there's nobody to create those things. And yet, Mm -hmm. I think part of what's missing is the importance and the value that those two assets bring. And so my whole career has really been based on the human element, which everybody thinks is soft, but that's a, you know, like it's a fluffy thing, but it's not, it's really not. And that's, that's the new economic model that I'm working on. Oh, we share a lot in common. And I love that you said that. Why are you so passionate about this topic and also spent a lot of your time and energy writing about empathy in action? I think it goes all the way back to being a little girl and watching my mom and my dad go to work. And I saw my mom, she was a teacher, and she was so passionate about what she did. 
And I think she was truly loved and appreciated. And that fueled her passion. And then I watched my dad, who's part of corporate America. And I think that I watched his um, cognitive dissonance, if you will, where he was passionate about what he did. He truly cared about his employees, but it was the structure that he was in, right? The structure of corporate America and what you were allowed to say and how you were allowed to express yourself and the, the value that was placed on employees. And I think, you know, this kind of paradigm of not valuing employees goes all the way back to the first industrial revolution. Um, and I touch on that in the book. And though we've evolved, right? And then I think uh, the work life has gotten definitely better from the days where you worked in a factory and things were dangerous and you couldn't go to the bathroom <laughs> and things like that. I think we've evolved a lot, but there's, but we've evolved as humans. And I think we need more and I, I really believe that um, most of the CEOs, you know, I see all this stuff about quiet quitting. I don't think that a lot of companies really understand the workforce of today has dramatically changed, especially post-pandemic. Mm, interesting you say structure. I call it a box. <laughs> the <laughs> corporate box. I mean, there's really a box and it's hard to expand from the box when you come in with a certain job title and function, people only see you that way. And meanwhile, we bring so much more experiences. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you nailed it, right? It's a box, right? And so I think the way that the structure works is we have an org chart and there's a box, right? And then there's a there's some more boxes and then some more boxes and it kind of expands into this thing. And so like there that's figuratively like an org chart, right? But I think what happens is you have like a title and you have job description and what managers have wanted to do and leaders have wanted to do was do that, right? And it's easier for you, for a manager to manage that thing in the mm -hmm. box than if you veer outside the box. And I think part of leadership today is really looking at encouraging people to be more than that box and to expand. And as a leader, what I try to do is I really try to help um, the people that work with me or for me to really think about their own potential and what's really important to them and how that lines up to the goals of the company. And then you know, everybody grows, the company grows, you grow, you're more engaged, but I don't think that's the norm, right? I think mm. that that takes a different kind of leadership and a different kind of manager than, than most people have been trained or acclimated to in the box structure. Yeah. So empathy as a word, I mean, everyone's throwing that term around and I say that with a a little bit of a angst because it's being used so much. And I don't know if people really deeply understand it. What does empathy mean to you in context of the business world? And why of so many topics are you focusing on that? So, gosh, this, this is a deep topic. Um, I go all the way back to Edward Deming in the 1950s and 60s. And what he talked about was listening to your employees and your customers. And when you do that, you get insights, right? They're, they're canary in the coal mine. 
their insights are really what's going to transform your business um, from new products and services, from customers, things that they want, right? Predicting the marketplace. And employees know what's working and what's not working. And I think part of what empathy means to me is taking that Edward Deming model and today really listening to your customers and your employees. A lot of people get sympathy and empathy mixed up. Sympathy, um, Mm. at least the definition that I'm using, is when you hear someone have a frustration or a concern and you respond with pity or compassion. And that's great, right? Because you want to be a good human being. But I think what a lot of people really want is for to be heard, seen, and felt from their point of view. And that point of view is what really brings the value, right? And so when you do that with your customers and your employees, that's where the growth and the innovation and and also costs come from, right? So um, if you're not really listening to your employees, then you're you're actually incurring costs. But that's like a paradigm that that we don't we don't recognize yet. But I'm I'm hoping through conversations like ours that that becomes something that people go, huh? Well, that's interesting. Maybe I should think about that or pay attention to that, right? And and become where? How am I um, increasing my costs by not listening and not understanding? Yeah. So because this is the Doing CX Right show, what does doing CX right mean to you? And what's the link to empathy? So if you think about customer experience, employee experience, we don't really, as customers, we don't really buy a product. We buy the experience of a product, right? So let's say Mm -hmm. something simple, like we're buying a pencil, right? And we do, we are buying a pencil. But what we're really buying is the experience of that pencil. So when you go to erase something, does it smudge on your paper? When you um, go to write, is the lead dark enough? Is Does it break off easily? And so what we're really buying at the end of the day is an experience. And so when you're making products and services, if you really haven't used, you know, now that the term has become kind of commercialized as design thinking, but if you're not really listening to the experience of your customers, you're going to miss the key points of why your customers value what you're offering, whether it's a service or or a, a physical product, right? And someone was just posting today about a particular type of um, online communication, you know, like like a ability to do conference calls, and they were saying how clunky it was. And it's like, okay, did anybody from that company? actually see that post and go, oh, we should take a look at that feedback because that's how people feel and people buy based on how they feel. So for me, looking at that customer and employee experience is really key because that's what's going to shape our strategies, mm-hmm. our culture, our technology choices, um, what we measure, right? And so being able to sit in the seat of someone else understand their experience, and then take action based on those that share is the whole key to getting customer experience right, at least in my opinion. Mm. Oh, I agree. And what you're talking about is that holistic experience of buying that pencil, becoming aware, first of all, and then buying it and using it and getting it. And then you and I know the customer service, when it breaks, 
how that experience goes can shape the overall experience. Empathy in contact centers, customer service. How does empathy in action and what you write about apply to customer service? So I think it's really key. I think you're right. There is like an end and experience. So we search for something, we want to buy it, we do our market research, we go to review sites, we buy something based on people that we don't even know as advice, right? So that's that there's a whole word about, right, online reviews and all that kind of stuff. Then we go through the experience of buying it, right, which can be a great experience or a horrible experience. And, and we register that and we talk about it to other people, right? And then when something breaks or we have a question, even in the buying process, so that's part of marketing and sales, customer service isn't just, at least for me, isn't just out, you know, where you have a, a broke fix problem. Um, then when you try to get help, and if that help is difficult, if it's a lot of effort, if it ends up in a dead end, you also register that and you say, you know what, I'm not going to buy again from this company. The companies that really do get it right that's where customer loyalty comes from. That's where repeat purchases come from. And that's part of the economic model is that when you know that your back is taken care of and when you have a question or you need a replacement, that that company has built in to the cost structure of their operating principles, that they have the ability to service you and to get you what you want and what you need. And I think a lot of companies just don't understand for, I don't know, contact centers have been around since the 50s, 60s, um, and, and even in some cases before that. And it's always been seen as a cost center. And to me, that like blows my mind, right? Because here you have a contact center agent. They're representing the brand. They're representing your products and your services. And you're not empowering them necessarily to help the customer or to represent your brand. And so if that person was, let's say your CEO was sitting in that seat, would they say the same things the customer service agents are asked to say? And no, right? If it was the head of PR, would they say those things? No. Would marketing say those things? So I think that what we've done is we've, we've looked at customer experience as a cost, not a revenue yeah. generator. And we really limited the role of the contact center agent to get rid of customers, get them off the phone, lower average handle time, not necessarily get customers to the resolution that they need. And I'm doing some work right now with, with um, DoorDash and we have 15,000 agents globally and we have completely transformed, and we're still in the mm. process, completely transformed that experience to really get to what's wanted and needed when someone reaches out, right? And I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of practices. Scripts have been very commonplace. Um, and what I think is the, authentic, the key is authenticity and genuineness. And I think what is missing for a lot of companies is how do I take that and institutionalize it, right? Because they want some consistent responses. How do I do that and create scale? And that's really kind of the secret to what's behind empathy in action and what I've been working on. So a couple of things I want to peel back here. The uh, companies make decisions like training, learning and development, 
there's a lot of justification that has to happen to invest. And empathy is something that needs to be trained, even though it needs to be a human basic, but we won't argue that right now. So how do you convince leaders, DoorDash and other, to invest in empathy, to invest in the training? They want to know ROI. What do you say to that? So I think that throughout my career, part of what I've been really good at is taking things that seem fluffy and putting a numerical value to them. So something, someone like training, I think, it, let's say that you bring somebody on and you want them to do a certain job, but you don't tell them how to do it, right? And, and I know that sounds really simple, but you, there isn't an inherent knowledge or, or set of expectations unless that's very clear. And so I think what happens is, you know, if you go through the onboarding process, like a lot of people just mm-hmm. want to onboard you and then say, go do this. And then you get your performance review and then people are disappointed or frustrated with what you've done, but they haven't taken the time to set up the expectations, to go through the training, to onboard you, to enculturate you into the values of the company. And so I don't know how we can expect employees to really understand what's expected of them if we don't take that time. But again, I mean, What's interesting is once you really see the importance and the value of empathy and seeing things from somebody else's point of view, then all of these things become, oh my God, how could we be doing what we're doing? This like makes us stop the train. Like this makes absolutely no sense. We have to do it differently. But until you shift out of kind of the amnesia of cost cutting, I think that people just keep doing what they're doing. And so part of the transformation for me, Stacey, has been since the beginning of my career, I had these question marks, things, I'd have experiences, right? And I'd be like, huh, that doesn't feel very good. Or that doesn't really make any sense, but I'm trying to be a good corporate citizen. So I'm just going to like march along and smile and stuff my feelings and just do what I think is expected of me. But after you're in the industry and after you've had these employee experiences for years and years and years, at some point, it's like that emoji where your head's exploding. (laughs) I think that's what happened to me was I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And I want to write a book about it. And I want to put it on paper. And I want people to understand, especially CEOs, if you're sitting in an ivory tower if you're looking down on your employees, if you're frustrated with quiet quitting, if you're frustrated and you don't really understand people's attitudes or their morale today, go sit with them, go talk to them, understand what they're going through and see it from their point of view. And like, especially go sit in a contact center. I've been to DoorDash's contact center in El Salvador and I sit with the agents. I talk to them. I understand their life. I understand what they're going through. And when you do that, you just have this completely different experience. And I think that's what's really key is to to have these experiences, see it through someone else's eyes, and then change the decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Change, like what, what my goal is, like if I leave a legacy, is the ability for people 
to have the experience of interacting with other people, seeing it through their point of view, and then seeing how much it doesn't make sense. And then really going, we, we need to change this. We need to make it different. What do you say then? And I agree with everything you said. Now we have the reality that artificial intelligence and technology is rapidly coming into place. So how do you bring empathy into this changing landscape? Does it become more important? Does it become more challenging? Does it get easier? What's your view? I think it adds a complication, obviously, because now we have another piece of technology and the piece of technology itself can't do the sitting in the seat of the other, right? It can do what we've asked it to do, what we've designed it to do. So part of it is the people who are doing the designing of the technology and the AI, making sure that as they're developing that, they're sitting in the seat of whoever that technology is in service to. So if it's in service to employees to you know increase their productivity or make their job easier or to augment what they're doing, does it really do that? Or is it some ROI calculation on the back of an envelope that someone goes, oh, well, you know, this sounds good when you say it fast and this is going to save us a gazillion dollars, so let's do that. Did you actually sit down and look at the application of it to the employee experience or the customer experience, analyze it, did it really make it better, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're a CX executive and you're buying technology, sit down and understand what is the experience going to be like. If you're a developer, think about who that end user is, whether it's a customer or employee, and make sure that you're designing it. Because if you design it, the customer experience and the employee experience, and and people you know want to become gazillionaires in the tech world, that's the secret. That's the secret. The secret is to have it focus on creating a great experience. And if you can do that, then everybody, everybody, every brand will want to buy your technology, right? And, and at the end of the day, that's what you want. It's lots of customers, lots of repeat customers. If you're a SaaS company, you want you know, them to continue to buy. So it, when you start to really get this empathy model, it's like, oh, that's how I'm going to be really successful. Mm. Is there a case that you've seen the turnaround where it was one way and then empathy was implemented that created a better outcome? Have you seen research or anything that listeners will be like, okay, I've got to invest more time and energy in this. This resonates. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean... My whole career has been about this, right? So my whole career has been being that person in the customer experience or the employee experience organization. And and I see them going hand in hand and actually listening. So for one instance, and this is like a simple one, um, I was working with a diaper bag company and they have these marvelous diaper bags, right? And lots of pockets in all the right places and all that kind of cool stuff. And so we were listening to what what comments people were saying. And there was a bunch of comments from guys who said, love the diaper bag, right? But it would be really great 
if it wasn't always in flowers or bright pink or whatever, whatever their comments were. Could you make it like denim or leather? And so listening to that, we created a whole new product line that appealed mm. to a whole different sector, a whole different cohort of customers that had never been heard or seen before, right? So there's like, and you know, and they're still the most popular diaper bag on the planet. And now they have a new whole customer base that's extremely loyal because guess what? Nobody else was listening and nobody else did this, right? So, I mean, and there's many, many examples, whether you're doing the customer ex- experience or the employee experience, I mean, that's where you can, especially the employee experience, that's where costs can be reduced. Yeah. And I love your example with the empathy at play. And you brought up a whole nother topic, which is important, a voice of customer to inform your strategies. So what a wonderful example of what we're talking about. I want to just skip to one additional pain point that I want these listeners, everyone to hear, stop what you're doing and understand this important principle, which is when it comes to employee experience who fuel customer experiences, many companies I think are doing onboarding better than the beginning of our careers. Still a lot of room for improvement. But a huge gap that I've been really focused on from personal pain and from studying this is outboarding. Empathy is lacking. Do you agree? What's your view on exit when you're letting people go? Do you see what I see? (laughs) Yes. So I would say onboarding could be improved, right? Like, so making sure that you know when your employees are starting, making sure that you spend the time, the energy to really engage them and get them really rolling, get them mentors, make sure that they're, they're organized. And I think thinking about, like, sometimes, you know, there's, a, there's been a ton of layoffs, right? And so thinking about the brand that you're creating as you're laying people off, those people are going to go on to tell other people about their experiences at the company. You may even want to rehire some of those people at the end of the day, right? And and I get like sometimes there's financial issues and, and you need to let people go. But think about the experience of that person, what they're going to say afterwards. They may not post it online, but they're going to tell other people. And think about how you've hurt them or how you've, you've um, made them feel about the work. Because when you go to a company... Those of us who are really passionate, we put our heart, we put our soul, we give everything possible and we want that to be appreciated. And I think part of what companies can take away from is the idea of, of offboarding is as important because it, it's part of your brand. It's part of the loyalty. It's part of, you know, when people, other people um, say, hey, would you go work for this company? And you can say, well, you know, part of my experience there was really great, but, right? So it's kind of almost like online reviews. You don't know necessarily who's reading your online review, but at the end of the day, that online review, and especially for companies, because there's all kinds of sites right now that you can go, Glassdoor, Blind, um, where people are, are saying, this is what my experience was. It's, it's no longer, <clears throat> excuse me, no longer hidden. 
And so I think that part of, and I think this goes back to the old paradigm of instead of talent management, we're really looking at employee relations and like, so being very cut and dry and just like, you know, cutting, cutting people, like, just like it's, we don't want to have any emotion and we don't want to say that we appreciated you. And we just, you know, it's just cold. And I, and I don't yeah. know that that was in the, at the end of the day, it's really serving companies because yeah. in the long run, it, it's hurting them. And then it's, it, I think it also, the other thing is that the next company that you go to work for, you're like, how much of my soul am I going to put into this? And so you go through your career and at some point, I mean, I think this is part of why we see quiet quitting, right? It's yeah. overall the soul of corporate America needs healing. And overall, I think all leaders and managers and especially CEOs need to understand that historically we've created the zeitgeist of people just not caring because they were not cared for, right? It comes back around. Mm -hmm. And I hope it Absolutely. Yes. Well, rapid fire questions as we're going to end in a, a moment or so. What is your one takeaway from our conversation, from your book? What's your one takeaway? If they don't remember anything else, what would it be? Stop doing what you're doing the way you're doing it. Please, 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 please. I can guarantee you if you take a moment and see that there's a blind spot. And when you have a blind spot, you don't know what you don't know right? Mm. But once you see what you couldn't see, you can't unsee it. And so all I'm asking is to understand that maybe there's a blind spot and to look and see, are you really understanding? Like, do you go on a Zoom and do you just like tell people stuff or do you ask? But you know, the difference between ask versus tell leadership style. And do you actually take the time? Are you always in presentation mode? Are you taking the time to understand and to ask from from their point of view? And then take that feedback and then change your actions. And if that's all that somebody got from this, that's the fundamental. That's the fundamental change that we really need to see. Yes. And I would say that that's pretty much the the best leadership advice uh, for teams and even individual contributors because everybody can be a leader even if it's not in their job title. And final, final question, my favorite, is if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Natalie? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I have a list of like a thousand things. Um, Be present, um, feel your feelings and um, stay true to them, right? Really do the self-care and and make sure that you're taking care of you in that moment. And when things don't feel right, they're not. And to notice Mm -hmm. that and to choose something differently because there are places to work that do think differently. And there are leaders out there that do think differently and bring their soul and their heart to work. And are they may not have, they may not even be aware of it, that they're using empathy. They may not be aware of that they consciously are this. Like, I think I'm hardwired this. Like I was born this way, right? Yeah. And I think there are leaders who are this way. And so what I, w- what I want for them is to be able to name how they lead 
And then, um, and then I hope other leaders look at maybe that blind spot that they might have and, and to try this on for size. I mean, just try it, right? Yeah. Yes. Just see what it feels like. And I'm going to close it out by saying, also have empathy for yourself. And that's where self-care comes into. So another topic, another day. Thank you, Natalie, so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. And I will have all your contact information in the show notes, as I'm sure people will want to connect with you. And just thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.